coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy weekend to you. Thanks for listening to The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com. And if you listen on uh, that app, but you don't catch the podcast, good news. We do podcast this show. You can find those podcast links at ronshowatl.com on all the major podcast providers. We've had a a, a pretty healthy week between uh, my, my city councilman, Atlanta City Councilman Amir Faroki, Melita Easters from the Georgia Win List, having joined us earlier this week, also of Fox 5's The Georgia Gang. Uh, we had Joe Lancaster on from Reason Magazine at reason.com to discuss his story about Rivian's financial problems and how Georgia's just throwing money at them. $1.2 billion in your taxpayer dollars going to Rivian to help them open a plant in social circle by 2026. Uh, questions as to whether or not they'll even be around when the ribbon cutting happens for that plant or if it'll be someone else eventually. Uh, in any event, we'll also be joined uh, next segment by Bliss Savage with the Georgia Innocence Project. Story caught my eye in AJC uh, yesterday that followed the story of Terry Talley. And there are three other gentlemen as well who are owed compensation for being wrongfully convicted and serving long-term sentences in Georgia prisons. So Terry, in particular, is is owed $1.8 million. And for some reason, Randy Robertson, the GOP Senate Majority Whip, is holding up or did in this past session, held up Mr. Talley's compensation, which will not be dealt with until next legislative session a little more than uh, 10 months from now. And basically his response was he just looked at some stuff and his gut tells him that the man's not completely innocent, even though DNA evidence found that he was not guilty of what he was imprisoned for. Randy Robertson is a former cop. Uh, who, by the way, has a, a bit of a murky record. He uh, apparently participated in some uh, extramarital activity with his sister-in-law while a lieutenant in the Muskogee County Sheriff's Department. He's not a lawyer. He's not a judge. He's not a forensics expert, just a former cop. Not that being a cop's a bad thing. I'm not saying that that's a lesson. I'm just saying he's a cop. He's a former cop, actually, a disgraced former cop who somehow became popular enough to be elected to the Georgia Senate and is the Senate Majority Whip. And so Randy Robertson has the moral compass to decide someone's uh, innocence or guilt, it would seem. Speaking of moral compasses, (laughs) the latest uh, University of Georgia poll out showing Donald Trump has a roughly 20-point lead over his closest Republican rival, in a poll of likely Georgia Republican voters, this for the nomination in 2024. Trump leads the field with 51%. 51%. That is a majority. Back in 2016, when he ran, he rarely won 50% or greater until everybody else dropped out. And of course, we're seeing this as Tim Scott began his exploratory committee this week that the numbers of potential GOP combatants is growing again which could give Trump the same opportunity he had in 2016 to run the field, win by winning a plurality but not a majority, and rest the nomination. Uh, Anyway, right now, Trump is ahead in Georgia, 
in this poll with 51% of likely GOP voters. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who has not officially announced he's entering the race, but could within months, sits at 30%. All the other Republican contenders were in uh, single digits. And uh, according to the UGA poll, about 7% are undecided. This poll was taken after, after he was indicted in New York with full knowledge of his perfect call, it was a perfect call, to Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. Taken after January 6th and after the January 6th investigation, 51% of Georgia Republicans say, yep, we're comfortable. (laughs) We're comfortable with that man being president of the United States again. I mean, what do you do? What what can you say? (laughs) I mean, could we look at the bright side? Well... 49% 49% of Republicans, nearly nearly half in the state of Georgia, seem to have their wits about them. Or maybe I take the, well, this poll was done before Tim Scott began his exploratory committee, and so maybe that'll heal away a lot. No, no. It's still his party. The party of law and order. Still his party. Fascinating. Drilling down into this a little bit, uh, let's see, DeSantis was more competitive with younger Republicans and those with incomes of more than $100,000. That's the other thing that gets me. I don't understand, for the life of me, why poor Republican voters look at Donald Trump with his gilded walls, chairs, toilets, everything about him is opulence and extravagance and how he manages to draw in the poor conservative voter just stymies me. In a hypothetical one-on-one matchup, Trump still best Ron DeSantis with 51% to DeSantis' 48 and 8% of respondents saying that they're undecided. DeSantis only faring better than Trump among Republicans with college or graduate degrees. Smarter Republican. Okay, drilling down a little bit more. 85% of Republicans say that they'll back Trump if he's the nominee. 6% said that they'll cast their ballot for a Democrat. 3% will side with a third-party candidate. 2% will skip the vote altogether. Doing the quick math, that's 11% of likely voters, and that's how Joe Biden won Georgia in 2020. Drilling down just a little bit further about favorability, 60% of likely GOP voters say they have a favorable opinion of Nikki Haley and Mike Pence. Tim Scott, who just entered the race this week, has a 45% positive rate. Why does Tim Scott only have a 45% positive rating within Georgia GOP voters? Gee, what is different about Tim Scott? Oh, another 43% say they just don't know enough about him to form an opinion. Okay. Okay, so later in the show, there's more to discuss about billionaire Harlan Crow. I mean, he's no George Soros, He's Harlan Crow And Clarence Thomas, the Supreme Court justice who can't seem to disclose things in a proper manner. Yeah, there's another shoe that's dropped in the Harlan Crow clarence Thomas bromance novel. And we'll be all over that on the second half of the show. My guest next segment, again, Bliss Savage with the Georgia Innocence Project. She will be here to discuss the Terry Talley story and tell us more about what the Georgia Innocence Project does after the break here on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com. This is The Ron Show. 
Welcome back to The Ron Show for Friday afternoon. I am pleased to be joined by Bliss Savage with the Georgia Innocence Project. Got a hold of Bliss, uh, well, overnight tonight. Uh, we we kind of worked it out today uh, that we were going to get Bliss on. Saw this story in yesterday's AJC that spoke of some recompense, I guess, for folks who had been wrongly convicted by the state of Georgia, money coming to them, and uh, yet the plot twist is, while it's been determined that there should be money coming to them, our friend, our nemesis, Randy Robertson, again, somehow seems to stand in the way. I'm going to let Bliss tell the story a little bit. So, uh, Bliss, first of all, thanks for joining us. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Tell me what the Innocent, the Georgia Innocence Project does, what, what you guys, what your mission is. Yeah. So the Georgia Innocence Project, or GIP, is an independent local nonprofit, and we work to correct and prevent wrongful convictions. So we collaborate with a network of pro bono lawyers, volunteers, and students, and we conduct investigations uh, into criminal convictions. We don't charge for our services. We do have pretty strict case criteria. Um, We get about 300 requests for help every year. Um, And then if there's a compelling claim of innocence, we actually do um, investigations into those cases. And then if we think that we can help, you know, we try to litigate those cases and see what we can do. So can you give me a guesstimate, like what kind of success rate you guys are looking at so far? Ooh, (laughs) that's a really tough one. Um, I I can tell you that to date, GIP has helped to free and exonerate 13 men who collectively spent um, 300 years wrongfully imprisoned. Gosh. Yeah. But, you know, out of that, there's still a lot of work to do because studies estimate that there's an astounding 4% of people in Georgia prisons right now that are innocent. So that's about 2,000 people that are currently incarcerated for crimes that they did not commit, just in Georgia. So among them is a gentleman by the name of Terry Talley, who uh, left Dooley State Prison uh, after a 40-year conviction had been overturned. Oh, I'm sorry, a conviction from more than 40 years ago had been overturned. He had served uh, a little more than 25 years in prison. Uh, it is determined that he is owed $1.8 million by the state of Georgia, and yet there's a holdup. This is still in the Georgia Senate's hands for some reason, and now they're not going to deal with it until next year. F- fill us in on how this process works where somebody uh, is released from prison, uh, it's determined that they, they were not guilty, and the state owes them money. H- how does that process work? All right, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here, but stay with me. That's okay. okay. <laughs> so many people think that the nightmare of wrongful conviction ends when an innocent person is able to walk out from behind prison bars, mm-hmm. right? But that, that unfortunately is just not the case. And freedom is often just the beginning of another really difficult journey for exonerees. So on top of this just unimaginable trauma that they've just been through, they come out, you know, oftentimes they've have family and friends that have passed on. They have no money, no house, no access to health care. Uh, so you can imagine how difficult it is to try to reintegrate back into society and try to contribute to your community in meaningful ways without any of these things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a fallacy that wrongful convictions are a one in a million kind of mistake. And that's just not true. You know, wrongful convictions are not isolated. Mm-hmm. Wrongful convictions are not rare. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Uh, There are typically patterns that we see, right? There's patterns in our cases. It's the same players. It's the same jurisdictions. It's the same 
often incentivized informants that we see in our cases over and over again. And so what we say is we often see um, our wrongful convictions reveal cracks in the foundation of our legal system. So by advocating for policies that address wrongful convictions on a systemic level, we can not only overturn more efficiently wrongful convictions while addressing the root causes and, you know, build a more accurate, accountable and equitable legal system. But also, you know, we have to acknowledge that our legal system ultimately is still a system that relies on humans Mm. and humans make mistakes, right? And when mistakes do happen, they need to be addressed and they need to be addressed swiftly and fairly. And so that's why we're advocating for, you know, a law that would compensate wrongfully convicted Georgians. So Georgians can currently be compensated in the state, but Georgia is one of only 12 states that does not have a law designed to compensate the wrongfully convicted. Mm. So that's the difference here. So under the current process, um, exonerees have to find a lawmaker to sponsor a private compensation compensation resolution. Mm. And then they have to lobby the legislature and literally go through the same exact steps that you would have to go through in order to try to pass a bill into a law. Oh my gosh. So yeah, not only is that process extremely complex and inefficient, but you know, because this process was never intended to be used for that purpose of compensating wrongfully convicted individuals, the ad hoc nature of that process, as you can imagine, can often lead to really inconsistent and unfair results. And something that's really unsettling about the current process, and I think we saw that maybe a little bit in this past session, is that a request for compensation can be denied for almost any reason, right? There are no standards or criteria in the in the current process. Mm. So when it comes down to it, the fate of a compensation resolution is just in the hands of a few individual lawmakers. And so they can rely upon, you know, their personal opinions, their personal biases, mm-hmm. uh, a YouTube video that they watched that morning, you know, the <laughs> prevailing political wins, literally anything. Uh-huh. Um, and it's also extremely high stakes for exonerees, you know, in this current process. So if the resolution is defeated with a negative vote, they're dead. You know, there's no opportunity for that wrongfully convicted person to appeal that request um, or get an independent review. So at least they did not do that this past session. And instead, they chose to table the request. But it's high stakes. So not only is there the individual request that Terry Talley's uh, monetary compensation tied up in, but there was also a, a separate measure in the state legislature to come up with a means for just doing this that wouldn't land in a legislator's hands. Am I right? Yes, that's correct. And so Randy Robertson, who, by the way, is not a lawyer, never has been a lawyer, never sat on a bench, wasn't a judge. He was he was a cop. In fact, he kind of has a bit of a scurrilous past when you dig into this. This this is all available online. Uh, back in 2000, uh, he was uh, involved in an internal investigation in uh, the county sheriff's office. Uh, he was a lieutenant then. He was found to have conducted himself in a way that was, quote, unbecoming of an officer and immoral. The investigation stemmed from an extramarital affair with his sister-in-law. In, in any event, my point is the, the man doesn't have the sort of criteria you would expect someone to have to weigh in on whether or not someone is guilty or innocent. But Randy Robertson is the guy, 
as the Senate whip in the GOP that is holding this up. He says, these four cases, Tally's one of four cases, that were brought this year, I think, no, I know, by reading all of the materials, I know that these individuals are not exonerated. You, you talk about prevailing opinion, and I, what, what, is, what is he basing this on, and why, again, it's just kind of crazy to me that he gets to decide, he's the gatekeeper of whether or not somebody is compensated for being wrongly convicted. Yeah, and I think that's why, especially at Georgia Innocence Project, we're really pushing for this law that would create this more fair and uniform process, right? Because the only thing that these lawmakers have to go off of on these really complex cases, right? These are cases that often are litigated for decades. So all they have are these really, the information, the partial information that's conveyed in these short legislative hearings. And as you said, they don't necessarily have, you know, relevant or even expert opinions. So what this law would do would give a would give information to a panel made of experts and those experts would have research and investi- investigative capabilities through the panel as well. Who would seat those experts though? Um I don't oh, let me look it up for you. I can look it up for you because I don't have that directly in front of me. Sorry to hit you with that curveball. It's just that you know it's, no, it's like okay. Hey, like, we're going to cut it up, right? Yeah, you know the, the the public service commission is 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 seated by experts, but it's it's always yeah. seated by politicians, and you know those experts aren't always experts in public. You know, yeah. So under the um, the Wrongful Conviction Compensation Act, which was proposed this past session, mm. one of the members of the panel would be a judge who presides presides over felony criminal matters, and that would be appointed by the Chief Justice of the Georgia Supreme Court. There would be a current district attorney who would be appointed by the governor. There would be a criminal defense lawyer who would be appointed by the governor. There will be an attorney, a forensic science expert, or a law professor with expertise in wrongful convictions who would be appointed by the Speaker of the House. Mm. And there would also be an attorney, a forensic science expert, or a law professor uh, with expertise in wrongful conviction uh, appointed by the President of the Senate. So they did try to kind of uh, create a balance there as well. Okay. I mean, it doesn't really sound all that balanced, but I mean, I'll, I'll give the benefit of the doubt if you're actually going to panel experts that at the end of the day, they're experts and they have to, their expertise has to win out. So uh, we'll, this reminds me of that TV show. Did you ever watch, I'm sure you did, the, the show Rectify? I think it was a Sundance channel show. I didn't actually. Okay, so Rectify is a must watch for you then. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it follows the story of a fellow by the name of Daniel Holden, uh, mm-hmm. who was released from prison after 27 years of being wrongfully convicted. Uh, he... I, how do I describe that? He's probably on the autism spectrum in some way. And mm-hmm. and so, you know, he comes from a loving family that, you know, knows his challenges, uh, but also knew in their heart of hearts that he wasn't guilty of, of any mm-hmm. crime. And it just kind of talks about the, the show just kind of follows how he comes out of prison and how he's got to find a way back to a life of normalcy, which is not easy. I mean, you have to no. explain when you apply for a job where you've been the last 27 years as a, you know, Terry Talley can, I'm sure speak to uh, after being in prison for 26, uh, the, the income part and getting back, even if you're guilty and you serve your time, getting back into society is so tough because yep. of these sorts of obstacles that are put before them. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, it's the very least they can do right after decades in prison yeah. for crimes that they didn't commit, you know, compensation really does provide a much needed lifeline for exonerees. And when it's done right, it, 
can it has the capacity to provide financial and those other resources that are so necessary to enable them to recover and heal from the trauma and you know rebuild their lives. And the thing is, we're we're not looking at somebody winning a lottery ticket, $1.8 million. I mean, yes, that's a lot of money. However, when you break down the time that Mr. Talley served, we're talking about $70,000 a year. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's not a bad living, but it's, again, it's not the lottery. It doesn't make up for all the harm and damage done and the life that Talley didn't get to live because of it. Yeah. And you, you think about, you don't realize how quickly that money goes either. You know, yeah. we talked to some of, our, some of our exonerees who were compensated in the past. You know, you come out and you have nothing. You don't realize how quickly that, that money goes when you have to buy a house and when mm. you have to <laughs> buy a car and mm-hmm. pay for poor health and all mm. of that. Yeah, you're talking to a real estate agent. I get it completely. <laughs> <laughs> Bliss Savage, Georgia Innocence Project. I want to thank you for the time. Tell us how folks can uh, contribute if need to to the uh, Georgia Innocence Project. I'm sure you guys would would, would welcome that, right? Yeah, we would love for you to learn more about our organization, about our stories of freedom, and donate if you can at georgiainnocenceproject.org or follow us on social media at, at GA Innocence. Thank you so much. We'll be following this story. I appreciate the time. Thank you. Follow The Ron Show on Twitter at Ron Show ATL. The Ron Show on America One Radio. So I want to do a little bit of housekeeping. I did just get an email after we had... Uh, Bliss Savage on from the Georgia Innocence Project. Uh, she wants to uh, clarify something we talked about. She said, uh, sorry, Ron, I should have explained this earlier, but didn't want to overcomplicate it. And it does not change what we talked about besides one detail. Mr. Talley, uh, Terry Talley, actually spent 40 years behind bars. Uh, because there was no DNA in one of the cases, the DA refused to overturn it, even though all the crimes were originally sold as being committed by a serial rapist. One person, Terry Talley. We are still working to get that last conviction overturned, but in the meantime, since Mr. Talley is already 65 and in poor health, we wanted to get him compensated for the more than two decades worth of time the courts acknowledges he spent wrongfully behind bars, even though we believe he deserves much more. Just thought I would uh, pass that on to you, and I told her I would make sure that we did that, just to clarify. If you missed any of that conversation, uh, you can catch today's show via podcast uh, on all the major podcast platforms. We have the podcast links for you at ronshowatl.com. And by the way, if you missed any of this week at all, uh, that's another way to catch up. So, story that just came out in the last um, 18 hours or so, there's been a lot of um, speculating about just how much influence billionaire Harlan Crow had over, has over, yeah, let's say has, over... Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. So, Clarence Thomas, we found out from ProPublica last week, hadn't disclosed all of the lavish vacations that Harlan Crow paid for him to go on with him and his conservative cronies. Well, now we find out that Harlan Crow actually bought property from Clarence Thomas, and Clarence Thomas didn't disclose that. So, more from ProPublica here. In 2014, one of Texas billionaire Harlan Crow's companies purchased a string of properties on a quiet residential street in Savannah, Georgia. It wasn't a marquee acquisition for the real estate magnet, just an old single-story home and two vacant lots down the road. What made it noteworthy were the people on the other side of the deal, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and his relatives. The transaction marks the first known instance of money flowing from the Republican megadonor to the Supreme Court justice. The Crow Company bought the properties for 
$133,363 from three co-owners, Thomas, his mother, and the family of Thomas's late brother. According to a state tax document indeed dated October 15, 2014, filed at the Chatham County Courthouse. ProPublica goes on. The purchase put Crow in an unusual position. He now owned the house where the justice's elderly mother was living. Soon after the sale was completed, contractors began work on tens of thousands of dollars of improvements on the two-bedroom, one-bathroom home, which looks out onto a patch of orange trees. The renovations included a carport, repaired roof, and a new fence and gates, according to city permit records and blueprints. A federal disclosure law passed after Watergate requires justices and other officials to disclose the details of most real estate sales over $1,000. Thomas never disclosed his sale of the Savannah properties. That appears to be a violation of the law, four ethics law experts told ProPublica. But let's, let's dive a little bit more into this. Not only did billionaire Harlan Crow, I mean, can we call him the George Soros of the right? Billionaire Harlan Crow bought the property that Thomas's grandmother lived on and two vacant lots on the same street. He also fixed up the property that Thomas's grandmother lived on while she lived on it. I, mean, I imagine she had to go stay somewhere for some of that. You don't usually live in a house while it's being renovated. Okay, so the ProPublica piece goes on. The disclosure from Thomas filed for that year also had a space to report the identity of the buyer in any private transaction, such as a real estate deal. That space is blank. Virginia Cantor, a former government ethics lawyer now at the Watchdog Group crew, says he needed to report his interest in the sale. Given the role Crow has played in subsidizing the lifestyle of Thomas and his wife, you have to wonder if this was an effort to put cash in their pockets. Clarence Thomas has not responded to detailed questions for that story. Now, Crow released a statement. Harlan Crow released a statement that said he purchased Thomas's mother's house, where Thomas spent part of his childhood, to preserve it for posterity. He said, quote, My intention is to one day create a public museum at the Thomas home dedicated to telling the story of our nation's second black Supreme Court justice. I approached the Thomas family about my desire to maintain this historic site so future generations could learn about the inspiring life of one of our greatest Americans. ProPublica continues to write, Crow's statement did not directly address why he also bought two vacant lots from Thomas down the street, but he wrote that, quote, the other lots were later sold to a vetted builder who was committed to improving the quality of the neighborhood and preserving its historical integrity. By the way, let's uh, credit the reporters here. That's uh, Justin Elliott, Joshua Kaplan, and Alex Mirzeski at ProPublica. Now, it's kind of hard to determine if he even paid fair market value, although one could argue that he likely didn't. Uh, the piece goes on to note that Crow also bought several other properties on the same street and paid significantly less than his deal with the Thomases. One example, in 2013, he bought a pair of properties on the same block, a vacant lot, and a small house, for a total of $40,000, not $133,363 like he paid for Thomas's grandmother's home and the two vacant lots down the street. I mean, that's a $90,000 difference. Uh, in a statement, Croach said his company purchased the properties, quote, at market rate based on many factors, including the size, quality, and livability of the dwellings. 
He did not, however, respond to requests from ProPublica to provide documentation or details of how he arrived at that price. First of all, can you just imagine the outrage right now on right-wing talk radio and Fox News, Newsmax, OANN, if we were talking about Justice Sonia Sotomayor and George Soros? Imagine the apoplectia playing out on talk radio and right-wing cable television. The Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingraham freakouts if this were a story about Sonia Sotomayor and George Soros. Just give yourself a few seconds to imagine that. And now, of course, you're not going to hear them say much about this story at all. Well, except to say, well, this is just a normal real estate development deal. This uh, this makes perfect sense. He's he's trying to preserve Justice Thomas' boyhood home to make it a museum later. Is that a good talk for Carlson? Do you think I'm? Do you think I'm kind of nailing that there? I feel like I am. Maybe not. I I don't know. I'm hearing it myself. Um. Okay. So maybe the idea of a Clarence Thomas boyhood home museum. <laughs> Who would go to that? Uh, but maybe it exists. Maybe maybe such a thing does exist. D- By the way, does does the uh, <laughs> does the snack counter sell Coke by the can too soon? Uh, anyway, <laughs> who's gonna go to that? Seriously, I mean, listen. I there, there's a Woodrow Wilson boyhood home in Augusta, Georgia, and it's a cool little novelty. But nobody goes to it. It's not a tourist attraction in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Uh, but also. Why could not the Thomas family just hold on to the property at what is apparently a lower value than what was paid for back in 2014, uh, and then turn that into whatever sort of you know living history museum they wanted to make it uh, upon Clarence's uh, passing? Hmm. And the other thing from the right that you'll hear, and you, we have heard from Harlan Crow, the billionaire. And uh, Justice Thomas as well is that, uh, well, there's there's no business from Harlan Crow before the Supreme Court. It hasn't been, yada, yada, yada. Jay Bookman tweeted this uh, five or six days ago, and he nails it. The argument that Harlan Crow had no direct business before the Supreme Court, so it's okay, he gave $500,000 in gift to Clarence Thomas, is ludicrous. Crow has spent tens of millions trying to create a right-wing judiciary to rule the way he wants. The conflict is inherent and obvious. It's not as if Crow's just some apolitical billionaire who happens to like Thomas personally. To the contrary, Crow is pursuing an aggressively political agenda through the judiciary using his wealth to do so, and his investment in his personal pocket justice is part of it. And remember, I don't know if you remember me saying this last week, this isn't just a Clarence and Harlem bromance. No, it's kind of a threesome. Jenny, want to come in here? Yeah, check this out. In 2009, according to Politico, Harlan Crow provided half a million dollars to Liberty Central, which was established by Virginia Jenny Thomas, the wife of Justice Thomas. In case you're wondering, Liberty Central was a nonprofit conservative political advocacy group founded in 2009 by Jenny Thomas, the wife of Clarence Thomas. Jenny was the president and CEO. That group, founded with seed money of $550,000, all but 50000 of which came from Harlan Crow. 
Oh, and hang on. According to a CNBC article, in 2010, Jenny Thomas made more than $120,000 personally as president and CEO of Liberty Central that year, according to a 990 tax filing. So Jenny Thomas made $120,000 just in the year 2010 as president and CEO of Liberty Central, which began using $550,000 in seed money, all but 50000 of which came from Harlan Crow. Okay, back to the ProPublica piece about the real estate venture, the, the, the sale of uh, a home and two vacant lots by Clarence Thomas and his family to Harlan Crow. Get this. In that year, Thomas' financial disclosures were pretty detailed. According to ProPublica, they listed everything from a stained glass medallion he got from Yale to a life insurance policy. But he failed to report $133,363 real estate sale to billionaire Harlan Crow. From there, the Crow Holdings Company that bought the property began paying the roughly $1,500 in annual property taxes on Thomas' mother's house, according to county tax records. ProPublica writes, the taxes had previously been paid by Clarence and Jenny Thomas. Wow. And by the way, Crow still owns Thomas' mother's home, the story writes, which the now 94-year-old continued to live in through at least 2020, according to public records and social media. Two neighbors told ProPublica she still lives there. Soon after Crow purchased the house, an award-winning local architecture firm received permits to begin $36,000 in improvements. All right, so are you following this? It, it appears that Harlan Crow paid above market value for the property, then continued to pay property taxes on the home that Clarence Thomas's mother apparently still lives in since 2014, did $36,000 worth of improvements, and Mama still lives there? Is there a lease? Is someone paying rent for Clarence Thomas's mother to continue living in the house that she nor his family owns, that Harlan Crow's company now owns? Not him, but a, sh a company. That's not seedy. And that company's been paying the property taxes on and did the improvements. Is she paying rent? Do we have a lease? Is there a monetary trail? These are questions we need to be asking. These are questions that need answers. Oh, and let me take this a little further. Not only did Clarence's mama get to live in the house and the property taxes are paid for, I'm imagining there is no rent because we have no record of rent being paid. Crow also bought the house immediately next door to Thomas's mama, which was owned by somebody else and had been known for parties and noise, according to the property records. And W. John Mitchell, former president of a nearby neighborhood association. Soon, that house, after it was purchased, right next door to Clarence's mama, the one that was full of nuisance and party noise and all that stuff, that house was torn down. One day, miraculously, all of them were put out of there and they scraped it off the earth, according to this uh, neighborhood association contact, W. John Mitchell. All of a sudden, mama's house is paid for. It's been renovated. Somebody else is paying the property tax. She gets to live in it. Oh, yeah, and the noisy neighbors next door, well, their house was just bought and scraped off the face of the earth. How convenient. Are you keeping up with all of this impropriety? I mean, we're just now really sinking our teeth into some substance here. The trips, I mean, that was pretty alarming in and of itself. 
half-million-dollar trips, luxury yachts, and some all-male club. Old dudes and gravity and steam rooms. It's not a pretty sight, ladies. And, And now it's not just that the Thomases were getting whisked away on private jets and yachts and being taken to lavish resorts on Harlan Crow's, I assume, black card. Um, but now we're finding out that Harlan Crow's real estate companies were buying property from Clarence Thomas's family. And worse still, Clarence's mama stayed in the house of one of the properties that they bought while they spent $36,000 to renovate it also bought the house next to it that was kind of a nuisance to mama, tore it down so she could have some peace and quiet, continued to pay property taxes on it, and to date we have no lease that shows or any sort of monetary transaction that shows that Clarence's mama or the family of Clarence's mama paid rent. Oh, and by the way, Jenny Thomas had a $120,000 salary of some sort for Liberty Central, which was funded 500000 of the 550000 Seed money by Harlan Crow. Nothing to see here, though. And we're getting a statue of Clarence Thomas at the state capitol. The statue should have his hand out, I'm just saying. Hey, don't just listen to The Ron Show. Support The Ron Show. If you and your business would like to have your advertising done on this show, you know, it's pretty easy. You can drop me an email, ron at ronshowetl.com. You can also call me anytime you like, 404-919-2725. You can also just be a listener if you don't have a business. I mean, that would be most of you, right? Follow us on your preferred podcast platform by following any of the links we've got provided for you there on the podcast tab at ronshowatl.com. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, links there for you as well. Last segment of the Ron Show for the day, for the week, and oh, look at that. Sun's popped out. I kind of told a buddy of mine that was going to happen. Actually, last night we were talking about this. Uh, I've uh, helped a a client get under contract on a home he wants to buy over in a Hunter Hills area of uh, West Atlanta. And we're like, uh, so you want to go by and measure the inside for some furniture and whatnot? He said, well, what time should we go? I said, uh, hmm, maybe after five, there's supposed to be some rain. Boom. Look at this. I mean, as I'm doing this, it's like four 30 and it looks gorgeous out there right now. I know what I'm talking about. It is softball season. So I'm constantly monitoring the weather as we get close to the weekend. And I am, uh, for my league, I am the quote on duty officer for the opening of the fields, and I think our first games are at like 8 in the morning, so i got to get there at 7, which means I'm looking at the Sunday forecast, and right now we've got uh, a good chance of rain around 7 a.m. Sunday, which makes me wonder what I'll be doing when I get there and have to decide, do I tell folks to keep coming or not go? Anyway, that's a little slice inside my world. Uh, This just came down a few minutes ago. thought it would be worth sharing. Uh, This uh, coming from CBS News, Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito today put on hold a lower court decision in a dispute involving the Food and Drug Administration's approval of the abortion pill Mifepristone, preserving access to the drug for now. Samuel Alito did this? Alito, who handles applications for emergency relief from the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, granted a request from the Justice Department for an administrative stay which preserves the status quo as the court considers its request to intervene in the court battle over Mifepristone. Limits on how late into a pregnancy the drug can be taken, who can prescribe it, and how it can be dispensed were set to take effect Saturday at 1 a.m., just hours from now. Alito's hold will stay in place until 11.59 p.m. Wednesday 
and he gave anti-abortion medical associations and physicians who brought the challenge to the FDA's approval of the drug until noon Tuesday to respond. How about that for a little pleasant surprise? Can you believe we've got another election day coming up around the corner? My gosh, another election day. Well, if you're in Mableton, Georgia, it, it, it's for you. Uh, Mableton has a mayoral runoff. The brand new Cobb County seat will have a runoff between Aaron Carmen and Michael Owens. Now, they both say they want to help the city get off to a strong, efficient start with its operations, services, and branding, according to the AJC, but Carmen actually voted against cityhood for Mableton, and Owens voted for it. Carmen, by the way, was the leading vote-getter in the initial runoff, or the initial election, um, but now he says he's, you know, he's, he's legit. He's going to work to get the city off on the right foot. Uh, four council races also in the runoff Tuesday. Um, so I'm sure tens of people will show up to vote in Mableton for this runoff. We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, show note, by the way, the Dominion Voting Systems defamation lawsuit against Fox News will be heading to trial next week, and we'll have experts on from Media Matters for America to cover that. Dominion, Georgia-based. There are ties to the Fonnie Willis investigation as well. Mayor Rudy and Sidney Powell and remember the, the covert ops to go to Coffee County, Georgia to look at uh, voting machine equipment, this, that. And the, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of there there. And uh, we'll be uh, eyeing that story as that trial gets started next week. Oh, get this. I, I saw this on Axios. There is now a new service uh, by a conservative group called Woke Alerts. It can go to the phone of folks in grocery stores who want to know which brands are accused of taking political positions that are offensive to the right wing. What a bunch of triggered ninnies. And and remember when they used to freak out about cancel culture. Cancel culture is going to ruin this country. And now they're all about some cancel culture. It's just, in fact, let's be honest. Do we even need to ask the, the the former Dixie Chicks, now known as the Chicks, to talk about council culture? Because I believe they were among the early to experience actual cancel culture. My God. I'm trying to see if there's anything else that I missed from the week that we haven't gone over. I wish I had time, actually, but I'm running low on time. Kellyanne Conway on Fox News a few days ago uh, said, uh, I think we got some work to do on the young people who think differently on abortion, perhaps guns or climate change. The thing I'm really concerned about on this is that the left becomes a turnout machine with young people. I shared this tweet because it was just funny. Uh, at Rebecca, with a K and an H at the end, writer, like W-R-I-T-E-R, uh, said, she was paraphrasing, of course, it appears that young people don't want to be impoverished baby factories ducking gunfire on a dying planet. This is quite a surprise. We simply did not anticipate that younger generations would object to our plan to exploit them so old white people can retire in luxury. Nailed it. Love that. Uh, follow the show on Twitter, uh, if you don't mind. That would be at Ron Show ATL. You can find all kinds of cute little quippy stuff like that and more. Uh, let's see. I want to thank everybody who joined the show this week. We had Joe Lancaster from Reason Magazine. We had Melita Easter's frequent guest on the show. Um, oh, yeah, Bliss Savage from earlier today. Can't forget that. From uh, the Georgia Innocence Project, I want to thank my city councilman, Atlanta City Councilman Amir Faroki, for joining us on the show. If you missed any of those segments, well, first of all, I did sort of give you a, an abbreviated version of a lot of that yesterday. 
all of the show is thrown on the podcast, uh, podcast links there for you that go back for weeks now. I've been on the podcast trip for a little while now. Uh, you can listen to any of that at ronshowatl.com. You want to go back and hear some of the first episodes and how bad I was at this? Fine, do that. SoundCloud available. You can find The Ron Show there, and I've got the link for you there at ronshowatl.com. Have a great weekend. Back here Monday, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com.